time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart, that's got passion for God, they're leading intercession on their schools, they're set apart, consecrated under God, and they've got a vision and a mission for their life. All right, so this is week three of YOLO. Week three of YOLO, everybody say YOLO. What's it stand for? You know, Dan almost ruined this entire, I don't know where Dan, where'd Dan go? Oh, he did? Dan almost ruined this entire series when he, when he preached our other series and he started saying, Yolf, you only live forever. <laughs> I'm like, no, Dan, it's going to mess up our next series. <laughs> so funny. So yes, you only live once and we want to make it count. So how many of you have ever, how many of you like board games? How many of you just like playing board games? Yeah. How many of you have ever played Settlers of Catan? Yeah, there's a lot of people who have played Settlers, man. I love it. Well, we used to have leagues in Michigan. I was in a league. I created the league, <laughs> but we had like nine people in this league. And it was, it was we played, the, the, the most that we played was Settlers, but we played other board games as well. I mean, we played games like Shogun and Age of Empires and just all kinds of different board games. And whoever won would get, you know, we, we would tally all that. And we would say, so I won it two years in a row out of five. I was in the league for like five years. So it was a lot of fun. We played a lot of board games, but it was great community building time, relationship building time, all that other good stuff is great. So there's a lot of variations of settlers. I don't know if you guys know that. You've got many uh, expansions to Settlers of Catan. You've got traders and barbarians. You've got cities and knights, which is one of my favorite. You've got seafarers. You've also got uh, uh, another uh, edition of Settlers of Catan, but it's Settlers of America. Same concept, same maker, but Settlers of America. And in this board game, I I really like this board game. In this board game, everybody starts out in the East, just like, you know, we did in real life. And we had to settle the West. All right, so that's kind of Kind of one of the things I really like about it. You know, I played this game many, many times and it never fails that whoever I'm playing with, if they remain in the East, if they fail to pioneer out and they're just happy to settle where they are in the East, they never win. They never win. They always got the least amount of points and all that other stuff. And, and I mean, you've got to pioneer, you've got to venture out, you've got to settle the rest of the, of the, of the country in order to win because you've got to deliver goods to other cities and all this other stuff to gain points. And that's, that's how you win. So if you fail to become a pioneer, you will remain a settler. Now, I think there's some really big differences between pioneers and settlers. Really big differences. In fact, Frontline, uh, when I met with them a couple weeks ago, we talked about some of the differences of settlers and pioneers. So let me share just a little bit of those with you. See, settlers... They're content with the comfortable. They don't need to venture out. They don't need the adventure. They don't need to, to be pioneers and, and, and go out into the unknown. They're content with the comfortable, whereas pioneers, they love challenges. Settlers get distracted easily, but pioneers are focused and they run hard after the things of God. Settlers are afraid of the unknown. Pioneers they're afraid of nothing. The only thing they fear is God. Settlers' actions, they are predictable. And you never know, you know, pioneers, you never know what pioneers are going to do. They're going to surprise you. But settlers are predictable. 
when you just settle on one spot and you're there. And, you know, I mean, that's what happened in the early days, right? People would settle a little plot of land and they would be there for like four generations. That little plot of land, they would never do anything. And then usually the next settler was 10 miles away. So they saw them like once a month. All right. So, I mean, we're talking about YOLO. We're talking about living a life of adventure. We're talking about living a life that has impact and influence. Living a life that leaves a legacy on the people around you. Settlers. Settlers hate change. Pioneers can't stand when things stay the same. Settlers see giants. Pioneers see promises. Settlers won't pay a high price. But for pioneers, the price is never too high to pay. For settlers, they have a huge lack of urgency and purpose. But for pioneers, urgency and purpose define them. For settlers, settlers pass at responsibility. Pioneers embrace it. Settlers are usually ordinary, ordinary people. Pioneers set themselves apart for the extraordinary. Settlers live in the past. They're always looking back. Pioneers are always looking forward. They're looking to the future. Settlers pray, but pioneers become the answers to their prayers. Settlers oppose sacrifice. Pioneers are willing to sell everything. Are you starting to, getting, are you starting to get the picture of the differences between settlers and pioneers? Last one. Settlers almost always choose to take the easy path. Pioneers, they go YOLO. And they always do hard things. So when I, when I, when I read this book, when, I'm, when I thumb through the pages, when I begin to read the stories from, from the front cover to the back cover, when I read this book, I don't read too many stories about settlers. But you know who I find in this book? I find all kinds of pioneers. All kinds of young men and young women who did crazy cool things. I mean, think of Abraham. Abraham chose to pack up his family, leave everything he had ever known for a promise that God gave him, for a new land that he would go to. Moses, he had it pretty easy in the desert, didn't he? I mean, after he fled to the desert of Midian, he had it pretty easy. All he did every day, do you guys remember in the story? What did he do every day? He watched sheep. How much more mundane and boring can it get? How much more can your butt hurt from sitting on a rock all day watching sheep? (laughs) All day. Are you kidding me? He had it easy. Pretty Pretty boring job, but pretty easy job. Watching his father-in-law's flocks. But Moses chose to be obedient. He chose to go back to Egypt and take on the really hard task of delivering his people. Noah didn't have to take 100 years of his life to build the ark. But he did it anyway and he saved his family. Can you imagine a 100-year project? 
I mean, if I have a building project and I'm building something and it takes me more than a week, I'm like, oh, I got to get this done. I'm sick of this. After a week, I'm done with it. Can you imagine a hundred year project? Every day building, every day building. That's hard. That's doing something hard, but doing it because you wanted to be obedient. Be obedient to the Lord. David, he could have let the bear or the lion take his sheep, but he didn't. He went after them and killed them. He got his sheep back. He did the hard thing. He went and attacked the lion. He went and attacked the bear. In fact, he was probably thankful. He probably baited the bear and the lion to come in because he was so bored. But he did the hard thing and went after him. David could have let the Philistines conquer Israel. But instead he did the hard thing and he faced the giant. Joshua and Caleb fought in battle after battle to claim the promised land that they were given. That couldn't have been easy. In fact, I remember reading in scripture, I don't remember where, just coming to me. I remember reading uh, a part where Caleb said, I think he was like 85 years old. And Caleb said, I'm as strong as I was 40 years ago. I'm just as good as a fighter and I'll fight. That's crazy. That's hard. He did the hard thing. Esther, all you ladies, come on, let me hear you. Esther's like one of my heroes, man. This chick, this chick had guts. This chick had guts. Esther faced death, went to the king unsummoned, and saved her people, basically. You should read it. If you haven't read the book of Esther, you should read it. It's awesome. Nehemiah, he undertook the huge task of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem under great opposition. It wasn't an easy job. It was a hard job. The disciples... But the choices they made weren't easy. When Jesus called them, said, hey, quit fishing. I'm going to teach you to be fishers of men. Come follow me. That was not an easy decision for them. I mean, they were giving up their livelihood. They were giving up everything they had ever known to follow Jesus. They did the hard thing. Peter could have stayed in the boat. But instead, he decided to be a little risky stepped out of the boat, and he walked on water. Only person I know of besides Jesus that walked on water because he was willing to do the hard thing. Jesus left the safety of heaven, came to earth. Might be a hard thing. When he could have rescued himself from the cross, he didn't. Instead, he hung there and he died for you and me. He paid the price. Not an easy thing to do. Paul could have stopped ministering at any time in his journey. I mean, most of the New Testament was written by Paul. He could have stopped at any time, but he didn't. He took the gospel to the Gentiles, even after being beaten and whipped and flogged and imprisoned and shipwrecked on multiple occasions. Paul did the hard thing. These are just a few examples of people that chose to do the hard thing instead of taking the easy way out. Do you know in 2005, Time Magazine ran a story called Kid Alts? Say that, Kid Alts. Kid Alts, you know, like, that's kind of like half kid, half adult. Kid Alt. They wrote an article about this. The story was talking about how the traditional stage of adolescence, which takes place, you know, in those ages, you know, 11 to 16, you know, somewhere in there, that range of years, it wasn't really a biological stage as much as it was a cultural mindset. 
they came to this conclusion. Because of the incredible amount of people in their 20s and 30s who still act in the same way, they still act, they still do the same things, they still have the same priorities as they did in high school. They called them kid-alts. We all probably know a few of these people. In fact, some of us might have a couple in our family. Let's see. Who has one of these people in our, in our family? Ha <laughs> They're everywhere. It's like aliens invading. They're kid-alts, man. They never grew up. These are full-grown men and women who still live with their parents who still dress and talk and party just like they did in their teen years. They jump from day to day. They hop from job to job. They're kid-alts. Never grew up. Kind of just pass on responsibility. See, kid-alts generally have no clear direction in life. They have no sense of urgency. And legally, they're adults, but they've never really jumped into adulthood. It's like they're on the end of the diving board, but they won't jump. And this is happening all over the world. It's not just in America. In fact, there are other nations that have names for the kid-alt. In England, the kid-alt is called a kipper. It's telling you the truth. In Germany, I really like this word. In Germany, the kid-alt is called a nest hawker. Like hawking a noogie. A nest hawker. I like saying that word for some reason. Nest hawker, nest hawker, nest hawker. I mean, I just, it's got a cool ring to it. In France, the kid all is called a mammon. French are a little weird anyway. And in Japan, they're called freeders. Freeders. All different names. The different countries have for the same thing, the kid-alt. So the whole group of kid-alts, it's not a trend. This is not a temporary fad. This is the result of the culture that we live in. This is the result of our culture. See, our culture encourages teenagers to view adulthood as spoiling the fun of the teenager, uh, spoiling the fun of the teenage years, rather than viewing adulthood as the fulfillment of the teen years. See, being taught to avoid growing up doesn't help us launch into adulthood. The worst attitude you could have is, I'll grow up later. Now's the time just to have fun. Now's the time just to party. Now's the time to neglect responsibility. I'll have all that later in life. See, if you start down that road now, the chances are you will stay on that road. You won't be able to get off of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 11 says, When I was a child... I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I gave up childish ways. You know, it was so funny the other day, thinking of childish, child, childlike thinking. Holly doesn't like our dog. His name's Jericho. He's a golden retriever. He's always up in your business. No matter, he's just always in your business. So, he was, she was trying to, I don't know, put Hudson shoes on or something. And, of course, the dog was right there blocking and everything else. And, and uh, Holly goes, Hudson, you better pray for Mommy. You better pray that Mommy loves this dog. So Hudson right away goes, Dear Jesus, I pray that Mommy loves this dog. 
Mommy, do you love the dog now? That's what he said. I mean, it's just like childlike. And, my, and, and Holly goes, Hudson, you're going to have to pray a lot more than that. So Hudson goes, dear Jesus, please help mommy love the dog. Dear Jesus, please help mommy love the dog. Dear Jesus, please help mommy love the dog. I mean, he just started going like that. It was hilarious. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, I, I, I mean, you can imagine Hudson pulling that off. And it's funny. It's cute. It, you know, we laugh at it. I'm excited he prayed, you know, right away. I mean, that's cool. Can you imagine me doing something like that? Holly, you better pray that I start loving your cooking. You know, and I mean, oh, Lord, help me love Holly's cooking. Oh, Lord, help help me love Holly's cooking. This cooking is terrible. I mean, this tastes terrible. Can you imagine me doing something just like Hudson did as an adult? Actually, actually, it's not the right answer. No, of course not. I'd be like, honey, this is the best dinner ever. Thank you. You know, I I would do whatever it took to just, you know, honor my wife. And I mean, my wife is a good cook at like six things. It's great. That's perfect. So, man, we got to grow up, man. We can't remain children. We don't remain in these years because there's other years that are awaiting us. See, I've known and mentored young people into their early and mid-20s, wondering when in the world is this person going to grow up? I mean, it's the most frustrating thing in the world. I mean, I got, I got faces on my mind right now. Like, why? What in the world, God? Why did you have me mentor this person? I want to slap him upside the head. Like, what is their deal? What is their problem? Grow up! just want to wring their little... Like, my goodness. Come on. Grow up. All right, let's take George. This is an illustration about George, who really was the opposite of a kid alt. George was born in Northern Virginia to a middle-class family. He was 11 years old when he lost his father. Even though his peers never considered him bright, he applied himself to his studies. He mastered geometry, trigonometry, and surveying by age 16. That's pretty good. At 17, George had a chance to put his studies to use at his very first job. Official surveyor of Culpeper County, Virginia. This was not a boy's job. He had to carry heavy boards. He had to carry chains as measuring tools everywhere he went. This was a man's job. After three years, he was appointed as major of the state militia. Then word came that the French were entering Ohio, and he was ordered at age 20 to lead a midwinter expedition over hundreds of miles to assess their strength, which he successfully did. By age 22, George had been promoted to lieutenant colonel, and by age 23, he was commander-in-chief of the entire Virginia Army. Later on, he became the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, And then he became the first president of the United States, George Washington. Listen, this all started, this journey, this adventure, this plan he was on, this path, it all started in his teenage years. It didn't start when he was 23. He was already commander-in-chief of the entire Virginia Army at 23. It started in his teen years. You see, you're... 
teenage years truly set the stage for your adult years. These years right now that you're living, the choices you're making right now are setting the stage for what you will become and what you will accomplish in your adult years. If you waste these years or you focus these years on things that oppose the promises and direction of God, it's going to come back to bite you, I promise. There's a reason why we remember famous people who have changed and shaped our world. It's because they invested in their teen years in a way that shaped them into the history makers that they're becoming later in life. During these years, it's important. It's important to do the hard things. Don't take the easy route. Do the hard things. Be a pioneer. Be the adventurer. Who cares about change? Change isn't going to bother you. Let the change be good. Go after it. Do hard things. So there's five kinds of hard that students need to embrace, I feel like. Five kinds of hard that students need to embrace. These, if you do this, if you embrace these things, these will set you up to be pioneers, world changers, crashers, game changers for your generation. If you do these five kinds of hard. Everybody say five kinds of hard. Number one. Things that are outside of your comfort zone. Do things that are outside of your comfort zone. Things that stretch you. Things that push you. Things that scare you. Do those things. This is anything that takes you outside of the rut. The normal day-to-day, week-to-week life. The normal day-to-day, week-to-week life is for a settler, not for a pioneer. It's for a settler. This is one of the reasons why I put together spiritual formation trips every summer. And I'm going to put one together for this summer. Spiritual formation trip. Anybody's welcome to come. That's going to be a, a much cheaper trip than the missions trip. Although the missions trip is going to be awesome. We're going to lay that out to you at fall retreat. Spiritual formation trip is where I take students away from the normal every day. We leave the confines of the city, the confines of the house, houses they live in. We get on a bus or airplane or something like that, and we head off to do some adventuring. So we adventure. We make students repel off 100-foot arches. We make students crawl through craves on their stomachs because you have to because that's the only way you're going to fit with cave crickets and cave spiders all around. We make kids. I've made kids. Well, you've heard some of these before, but I make kids swim with sharks. I've done that a few times down in the Caribbean. Out in the middle of the ocean, seven-foot sharks swimming around. And I got 80 kids in the water splashing. I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. (laughs) I think I told you the story, but one time we're out there. When we go out there to to snorkel with sharks, like they throw this line way out there. And they just ask, guys, go on out there. Just hold on to the line. Try not to flail or fling. And they drop this chum bucket. Chum bucket is just a bunch of fish parts. They drop it down about 20, 25 feet. But the water is super clear. I mean, you, I mean it's 100-foot visibility underwater. So you're sitting there, and you're just watching all these five, six, seven-foot sharks just swimming around this chum bucket, just swimming around. And you're on top of the water. You know, they're just like 20 feet below you. They could come up and hit you in a matter of 0.5 seconds. So I'm sitting there, and all my students are out there. I'm in the water, and I see this mask doing this, floating down. One of these students had dropped their mask. 
See, what happens is, after all the students get back in the boat, the, 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 the guys, they start throwing all this fish into the water. So all the sharks come up. So you're just seeing them, you know, fighting over stuff and, you know, surfacing and all that. So all of a sudden, and they do this every day. So when this mass starts going like this down in the water, the sharks think it's food. So immediately I see about seven sharks go like this. I'm watching my kids jump on the backs of other kids, screaming, (laughs) screaming. I'm like, this might not be good. I poke my head up. I get the guy on the boat's attention. I'm like, they're coming up. (laughs) He's like, we should get back on the boat. (laughs) So you know how long it takes to get 80 kids back on a boat with two ladders? Takes a little while. So I was the fearless leader as I was. I'm like, I'm not getting out of the water until all my kids get in. (laughs) No, I did. I sat there. I was like, get up that boat. The guys, I'm like, putting my hand on their butt, just throwing them up. They're like, get on that boat, you know? So I'm sitting there. These sharks are all around. Like I could kick them if I wanted to. They're swimming around. All of our students are swimming. I mean, I mean, I could reach out and touch them if I wanted to touch them. So needless to say, I was in the water, but I was in a fetal position, keeping all my limbs together and keeping my limbs in. But I got some great pictures underwater. But we get, nothing happened. No one got eaten or anything like that. But it was awesome. I mean, come on. That's a, that's a YOLO moment. Swimming with sharks in the middle of the ocean. So when we take these spiritual formations trips, I push students out of their comfort zone. I push them into their fears, not away from their fears. So if they're afraid of heights, we do heights. If, uh, if uh, well, we, I just make them do stuff they've never done before, which automatically pushes them out of their comfort zone. It's a blast. It's a fun. If... <coughs> For some reason, you can't afford or you can't go on the mission trip this year, I encourage you to do the spiritual formation trip. Every night we will meet. Every night we will debrief. Every night we'll talk about where we saw God that day. Every night we'll have worship and prayer. And I've been in hotel rooms with 80 kids, all packed in one hotel room. It was fun. I'm, I'm serious. I mean, it was like, but it was great. And we were, we'd be there for five hours because the Holy Spirit would move. And you'd have students just begin to weep and begin to confess. And, and man, some of the greatest things that I've encountered, some of the greatest, being witness to some of the greatest things I've seen God do, it's been in little hotel rooms with students packed like sardines in them, doing worship and allowing the Holy Spirit to move. Spiritual formation. We talk about these things a lot. So you have to do things that are outside your comfort zone. Do the hard things. Do things that are outside your comfort zone. Second one, second kind of hard, is you have to do things that go beyond what is expected or required. Do things that go beyond what is expected or required. For example, maybe you need a C to pass the class, but yet you strive for an A+. You may stay late at work to help a friend out. You may perform household chores that you were not told to do and were not on your list. Oh, You may help clean up after DSM, even though it's not specifically your responsibility, even though you made the mess. These actions are sometimes hard, but because no one, no one makes us do them. No, we're so used as the teenage culture student. We're always used to people telling us what to do. We go to school, teachers tell us what to do. We go home, parents tell us what to do. We come to church, 
Your youth pastor's cool. We just high-five it and pound it, and we're good. But, I mean, you're used to people telling you what to do. So usually we get into the mindset, into, into, into the frame that, man, I'm only going to do the minimal that I have to do. I'm only going to fulfill the minimal standards. But if you're going to really make an impact in your generation, if you're going to really set yourself up for success, to leave a legacy, you're going to have to do more than the minimal requirement. You have to go beyond. You've got to do more than what is required or expected. You know, it's, it's one of the things I love about our frontline students when we put together these weekly challenges. It was just, I think it was last week, they had to do a challenge, or maybe it was the week before, where the challenge was they had to write an encouraging note or a card three weeks ago, whatever. A, a note or an encouraging card or something to their least favorite teacher. Talk about going above and beyond. I mean, some of them probably had to make up stuff, but that's okay. All right? They were given an encouraging letter or card to their least favorite teacher. That's awesome. That's going, that's going above and beyond. That's going more than what's expected or required. I love that. Frontline challenges are great. They have to do all kinds of crazy things that go beyond what's expected or required. Third kind of hard. Third kind of hard is things that are too big to accomplish alone. Things that are too big to accomplish alone. These include the dreams and visions God has placed on your heart. I mean, everything from getting a group of friends together to go serve in a soup kitchen one weekend or founding an organization to alleviate world hunger. I mean, to be, uh, I mean, if you could be starting a prayer group or an accountability group on campus, to, it could be organizing an entire uh, prayer and fasting day like Zach did last year. I mean, anything that God's putting on your heart, any of these dreams, any of these plans that you can't really pull off alone means you're going to have to gather people around you. You're going to have to be able to cast vision to your friends. You're going to have to be able to say, hey, this is what I feel like God wants me to do. Do you want to do it with me? Do you want to join me? You want to climb the mountain together? You want to do this crazy adventure with me and see what happens, see what God does, see if God shows up? I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be something like that. It's going to be things that you cannot accomplish alone. And I love this. I love working with a team. When you're alone trying to accomplish something, it gets pretty boring. You kind of get lonely. It kind of loses some of your excitement. Because you're all excited, but there's no one really to share your excitement with except the dog that's always in your business. So it's fun to do things as a team. It's fun to gather people around you. It's fun to do things as a group. Like, I just think of the team that God is beginning to assemble here at DSM. You know, bringing me in, bringing uh, uh, Brandon in, having David, who I think is probably one of the best youth speakers in the country. I mean, just the team, you know, having Dan, who leads an incredible DLA program. Having Stefan, who just has a heart and a mind for conference stuff. And just the team. And, And you know what? We're all here trying to accomplish one goal. Bring revival to a generation. That's what we're trying to do. Bring revival to a generation. Care for our students. Love our students. Inspire them to do great things for God. Bring revival to a generation. 
We are a team. We're a team. Don't be afraid to gather people around you to do something great. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's going to be a challenge. Suck it up. Do it. Let God show up. Let God do crazy cool things. All right, fourth. Fourth hard thing. Things that don't earn an immediate pair off. Pair off. Payoff. Things that don't earn an immediate payoff. This is hard to do sometimes. It's hard to put a lot of energy and a lot of effort into something when you don't see the results of it. These are tasks like fighting sin, working out, doing your homework, obeying your parents. These things are hard at times because we don't always see the immediate benefits, but the long-term benefits are priceless. We make right choices not because they're easy. We make right choices because it's, they're right. Because it's the right thing to do, even if it's hard. Even if it's hard to be honest. Even if it's hard to tell the truth. We do it because it's right. Things that don't earn an immediate payoff. It's hard sometimes, but we do them. And we may not realize it. We may not see the payoff now, but we will see it down the road. Here's a quick example. I don't let my kids watch Scooby-Doo. I'm going to tell you why. I don't think there's anything wrong with the cartoon, Scooby-Doo. But the movies of Scooby-Doo that came out, the recent movies, you know, it's been, well, it might be a few years. They're very occultic in nature. Very occultic. So if I allowed my kids to watch the cartoon Scooby-Doo, they're probably going to end up wanting to watch the movies, the current movies of Scooby-Doo. And I don't want that. I don't want that in their life. I don't want them to be in agreement with that. I don't want that filling their heart or their mind. So they don't see the immediate payoff when I say, oh, we can't watch this. I'm turning the channel. They don't see it. But I promise you, there is a payoff. I promise you that they will be free and not in bondage. I promise you that I will not give the enemy influence or a foothold in their lives. It won't be on my watch. It won't be by my choices. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to love them. They may not always understand it. Just like you guys don't understand it when your parents say things sometimes. When your parents lay down boundaries and your parents lay down rules and your, your parents say, I want you to break up. Or I don't want you to date that person. There's a reason. They're not just doing it to be mean. They're not just doing it because they're stubborn. They're not just doing it because, I don't know. They're doing it because they see something more. They're doing it because they see results that could take place and might happen in the future. And you will say, oh, but no, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And I'm like, oh, whatever. I've heard that a hundred times. Five months later, it's happening. There's a reason behind it. So you won't see the immediate payoff. And it's hard. It's hard to do the hard thing. It's hard to break up when your parents tell you to break up with someone. It's hard when your parents say, no, you can't go out tonight. You can't go do that event. You can't go do that thing because you have homework. That's going to be hard. But you will have payoff. You will reap great benefits in the future. All right? Fifth thing, last one. 
Last hard thing you have to do. Things that challenge the cultural norm. Things that challenge the cultural norm. These are the choices you make that go against the flow. They go against the cultural norm. For example, dressing modestly. Dressing modestly. Go against the cultural norm. Just because your friends are wearing Daisy Dukes and showing off their boobs doesn't mean you have to. You don't have to. You dress modestly. You dress as if Jesus was standing beside you. Or your mom. Or your dad. What's the next closest thing to Jesus? Or your youth pastor. He's like third or fourth. Dress modestly. Stay sexually pure. That's going against the norm. Stay sexually pure. Choosing the crowd you hang with wisely. Choosing your friends wisely. You will become who you hang around. There's no doubt about it. You know, in in, uh, Detroit, we had a huge uh, crowd of gothic kids. I don't see too many gothic kids here. We had a huge crowd of gothic kids, you know, kind of like almost wear white makeup. They got the black clothes, the baggy, the spikes, the, all that stuff, gothic kids. You know what I learned over several years of hanging with those gothic kids? They're some of the greatest kids in the world. And you know why they turned to that subculture? Because they were rejected by every other subculture. When someone's rejected from every group of friends that they see around them, all they have to do is put on black, wear lots of black eyeliner, paint their hair purple, whatever. If they do that and they walk up to a gothic group of kids, they're in. Just like that. Because the entire group is full of people who have been rejected. I love those kids. I saw some of those kids get saved. I'd be in conversations with them and they'd be saying swear words left and right. I just love them. Put my arm around them. Tell them I was so glad that they were there. I even saw some begin to change. Not that being gothic is bad. I don't think it's being bad. It's just a dark subculture, the things that go along with it. But I would see students find Christ and find worth. They begin to dress different, act different, speak different. All of those things. Choose your friends wisely. Choose the people you hang with wisely. All right, hard things. Just a couple more examples. Getting Jesus tattooed on your forehead. Or carrying your Bible to school. Don't get Jesus tattooed on your forehead. <laughs> Carry your Bible to school. Do something that's culturally different, that goes against the norm. Heading the wrong way on an escalator. I've had to yell at a few kids for doing that on trips. But it's against the cultural norm. I've got to give them that. Holding your ground even when your position on issues is unpopular, like with homosexuality or abortion or sex trafficking. Holding your ground. Standing up for what you believe in. That goes against the cultural norm. It may mean walking out of a movie when you're with a group of friends because you know what you're watching is dishonoring to God. 
you know, Holly and I, this was, I think this was last winter. We, uh, I looked at, I always look all the movies up on screenit.com because it gives me the entire breakdown of sexual stuff, swear words, all that other stuff. I love it because I always look up popular movies because kids will be like, oh, we went and saw blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you went and saw blah, blah, blah. And then I'll ask them. I always get them with this. I ask them, oh, was it clean? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was pretty clean. Yeah, I think it was real clean. I'm like, do you know there was 54 cuss words in there? 30 F-bombs, 20 S-bombs. And they're like, there was? I'm like, you are desensitized. <laughs> I was like, where is the Holy Spirit on your life? <laughs> you know, I always get them with that. Not in a mean way, but I want them to know. You know, I want them to know how desensitized they are. That's what culture does to us. So Holly and I walked into this movie. I looked it up on screenit.com, but what I didn't realize at the time is I clicked, I accidentally clicked, I must have clicked the movie under it or above it and the movie on it. So I clicked on it and just started scrolling down. I'm like, there is one customer in this entire movie. This is a good movie, Holly. Let's go see this one. I mean, it's clean. Let's go see this one. And I couldn't believe it because I think, oh, this was the movie. It was like Battle for Los Angeles or something. It was like one of those action movies. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. An action movie that's fairly clean. I'm so excited. So we go to the theater. We get in the theater. We get into the movie. The first 30 seconds, there's like three F-bombs and like five cuss words total. I'm like, what is happening? Screen it. Lie to me. So then all of a sudden, I, had to, I just leaned over to Holly. I said, Holly, we cannot watch this. We cannot watch this. So we got up. We walked out of the movie theater. Actually, I think we walked into another movie that we knew was clean. I figured we paid. <laughs> so don't do that. But I shouldn't have said that. I don't know. Don't tell your parents. Okay. So, you know, we went and we saw a, a clean movie. But we had to walk out. I mean, I'm not going to fill my life with that stuff. I'm not going to give that stuff a foothold. I'm not going to be in agreement with it. When you participate in watching something, especially if it's occultic, especially if there's sorcery, casting of spells, you know, any type of shamans or witches or stuff like that, you are in agreement with that stuff. And in Deuteronomy, it talks about uh, that God, that stuff is detestable to God. God hates it. Any type of fortune telling, tarot cards, any of that stuff, which is huge. This is a whole different message, but this is huge in your culture. You know what Jesus said to do, do to those people back in Deuteronomy? Kill them. Don't let them live. This stuff is detestable to God. But when you go to movies and you begin to watch this stuff, Amos 3.3 3 says that do two people choose to walk together, or do two people walk together unless they have chosen to do so? That's the scripture about agreement. When you fill your life with that stuff and you entertain yourself with that stuff, you fall into agreement with that and the, and the enemy will gain influence on your life. It may be subtle. It won't be like blatant. The enemy's never blatant. He's always deceiving. He's always deceitful. He's always around the corner when you don't know it. But you will give the enemy influence in your life simply by being in agreement with some of that stuff. So you don't want to be in agreement with that stuff. I don't know where I was going with that. Things that, as a sidetrack, things that challenge the cultural norm. Do things that challenge the cultural norm. Last couple here. Could be as simple as seizing a moment God has placed before you to share the gospel with a friend. Stopping a friend. Leaving a group of your friends that you're hanging out with because this other friend that you've been praying for, that you've targeted, 
that you've been praying for all of a sudden comes up and says, hey, can I talk to you? You're like, yes. You leave the group of friends, even though they're having fun, even though they're laughing, you come over here just so you can be Christ, just so you can share the gospel. You can present the gospel to that person and see him get saved. That goes against the cultural norm. In fact, that goes against what we really want to do sometimes. What we really want to do is hang with our friends because we're loving it. We love our friends. We love being around with our friends. We would hang with them 24-7 if we could. Well, most of them. And, and we just love being around our friends. And to be pulled away kind of tugs on our own will, our own willpower there. That, that's going against the cultural norm. Praying for healing over someone in front of your class. That goes against the cultural norm. Oh, you're sick. You're not feeling good. Here, let me pray over you. Teacher, can you wait just a minute? I got to pray over Bobby here. He's sick. And Jesus is going to heal him. Just a minute. I'll be done in a minute. Dear God. Goes against the cultural norm. But if you're going to leave a legacy in your generation, if you're going to make an impact, if you're going to make a difference, you're going to have to do things that go against and challenge the cultural norm. Listen, God is calling each and every one of you to live that life of impact, that life of influence. We are influencing other people. And man, if you stay close to God, if you honor God, if you serve God, if you love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he is going to give each and every one of you a platform to have influence. He will give you power. He will give you authority because he will trust you. Because you've been putting in the time to that relationship. And he knows you. And he knows your heart. And he knows your purposes. That you're in this for the long haul. You're in this to win. You're in this to be a game changer. That's what God desires. So I ask you tonight, will you be at the game changer? Will you live the YOLO life? Will you be pioneers? Forget settling Settlers are for the mundane. It's for the boring. That's for the day in and day out. Be pioneers. Go after it. Be adventurous. Step into the unknown. Take a risk for Jesus. Go against the cultural norm. Do the five kinds of hard. Do the hard things. You may not see the benefits right now. But I promise you, all the choices you're making right now are dictating who you will become as an adult. You guys stand with me? Let's just commit to do hard things together. Live the YOLO life means doing hard things. Just uh, lift your hands up with me. The only Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the fun that we've had. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the worship. We thank you for the young people that received Christ tonight. God, we praise you for that. Thank you, Jesus. God, we are declaring to you and we are promising to you now, those with our arms raised, we will live a yellow life. We will do the hard things. We understand now, Lord, that our choices and what we're doing now will impact what we become. So, Father, we want to make right choices because they're right. We want to do the things you've called us to do. We want to accomplish the dreams and the visions you've put on our, in our, in our, in our hearts and our minds. We want to advance your kingdom at all costs. 
We don't want to settle for less. We don't want to settle and be complacent. God, we want to be pioneers. We want to live a life of adventure. We want to live where everything depends upon you. We want to live as if it all depends upon you. But God, we will work as if it depends upon us. We will labor. We will pray. We will toil as if it depends upon us. But God, we will live and know that it all depends upon you. Pour your spirit upon this ministry, God. Pour your spirit out upon this group of students. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. They've got a vision and a mission for their life.